Oh, actually, I have a quick question. How do you want me to introduce you? So Dana Snyder. I always say speaker, podcast host, and digital strategist. Speaker, podcast host, digital strategist, and all around good person. <laughs> yeah. I might. That's the only one I might remember when we get in there. So <laughs> She tries to be yeah. on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tuesdays and Thursdays. Like, Tuesday, don't Thursday, even bother. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. everyone. It's Noah Barnett, the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And today in the studio, I have Dana Snyder. She is well known in the nonprofit marketing community, but she's also a speaker, a podcast host, and just a digital strategist and ultimately an all around good human. Dana, thanks for being in the studio with me. I am so happy to be in the studio with you, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, represent. (laughs) I love it. That's right. Well, today I'm actually recording live in the Feather headquarters here in Gainesville, Florida, which we talked a little bit about prior to it. So it's good to come together and be like with others. And I love remote work. I love hybrid work. I love the opportunity and flexibility. But being together is great. I love it. Are they going to get you to a UF game while you're there? Not this time. And I intentionally only come on Monday through Wednesdays intentionally to avoid the uh, swamp, also known as the University of Florida uh, stadium. So, well, in 2020, well, yeah, next year, 2023, the UCF, my alma mater will be playing UF. So stay tuned for that game because I might try and go to that. That's interesting. My brother, my older brother graduated from UCF as well. Oh um, yeah. Go Knights. That's awesome. I think it was I back when that. like UCF was like no good. Like I think they've grown <laughs> up. So this was, I think this was probably 20 years ago or something. So yeah, UCF's gone through a lot of growing pains. It's still, I mean, compared to the rest of Florida schools, it's still very young. Yeah. But that's, that sounds like an exciting game for people that live in Florida. <laughs> so, yes, uh, it will be. We're super <laughs> yeah. stoked. Well, we want to dive in, as we always do on Unplugged, into the nitty gritty, the details that, you know, how campaigns are working, what's not working in marketing, and kind of what you're observing, especially as you look at the industry at large. You know, people are planning for 2023. They're thinking through all of those, and we want to get your perspective. But before we do, I want to ask a few questions to get to know you, to let our listeners get to know you as well. And I want to start off with what's the first brand or marketing campaign that made an impression on you? It's so hard. It's like when you're thinking about that, it's like when in my life did things stand out? Because I also studied advertising and PR in college. And so there was a lot of campaigns that we studied. But from a personal perspective, if I think about the ones that I remember the most, and these are probably going to be common to others, I really remember the Coca-Cola Polar Bears commercial. Yeah, yes. And then I grew up figure skating Um, because I fell in love with Terry Lipinski when she won in 1998. And that got me into figure skating competitively for a while. And then I've just continued to love Olympics commercials. And I don't know if you remember the P&G Thank You Mom commercial. It was a beautiful campaign. Yeah. So good. That I think those always just like pull up the heartstrings. Yeah. P&G, Coca-Cola, some of these big brands that maybe aren't as relevant today, or you wouldn't think about them as relevant, but they are these like household brands really set the bar high on some of this brand marketing campaigns that they do, especially PNG. They are like wonder superheroes at really understanding the customer and being able to like message very specifically to, to their audience. Uh, It's well worth our listeners studying up on PNG's approach 
to marketing because they do an incredible job, even though it's not as obvious, you know, they're marketing toilet paper, pretty much all household products. I know. And I think that's what's cool is like, it's not that they're telling a story usually throughout all of their pieces. And it's not in your face as much about the product, but what is kind of the purpose behind it. And I think there's a lot of things that are kind of like cross promotional or that we can learn across all different sectors and see like, okay, what's learning from this? Why did this work? Why didn't this work kind of thing? So, I mean, yeah, us even when we watched, I know recently in the Super Bowl, do you remember the ad that was just like the QR code on the yeah, screen? Yeah, from one of the crypto wallets, right? Yep. Coinbase. Yeah. And their site like blew up and everybody, because <laughs> it was so smart and relevant to the time that we're living in where everybody's used to scanning QR codes. And although they probably paid millions for that spot, they weren't paying for the production. That was literally just a video file with a QR code <laughs> moving around the screen, like brilliant and having people actually take a call to action. I remember we were all on our phones doing and be like, what is this? So it's, we have to think about like, pause. Why did I just engage with that? Mm-hmm. What made that interesting? And then you can kind of dive at it from there and be like, okay, what can we take and what could be relevant for the work that we do? It's so smart too, because it was timely, but also because it was differentiated. If everyone was doing QR codes, it would been like, are these bouncing, you know, simplified commercials, but it was so disruptive yes. in that context. Like you're yes. watching like high production, high production, high production. Is this a glitch? Like, you know, like is something <laughs> happening? And there was no the sound. Break? I don't think there was yeah. any audio. Because if you think about it, most of the time, I mean, some people have the TV on, but you're talking, it's a party. And so everybody's yeah. like, wait, what is, what's happening right now? Or like you have it on, you know, I know recently I've gotten into the habit of like just turning it on mute when the commercials come on. Um, and like walk away, like when I'm watching Premier League or some sort of live sports thing. So yeah, yeah. it's it's brilliant, brilliant. So there's a lot of takeaways we can learn from big brands. And you mentioned your background in advertising. What was the squiggle from like, yeah, advertising, but like why not PNG or Coke? Why people doing good and nonprofits? Like what what led you down that road, which is where you're focused today? Yeah, I've actually, I've done both, which I think lends to a unique perspective that I have on our space. I started working for a nonprofit in Florida, actually, um, for about two years straight out of college. And then I had always really wanted to move to New York City. And so I moved to New York City to work for a PR firm and ended up working with a digital company that we were working with all the major sports leagues, building websites and digital apps and second screen experiences. And this is before what were called OTT platforms. This is before the like, and WWE was the first one before like the Netflixes of the world existed. So before streaming. Yeah. Streaming, right? Which seems wild to even like fathom now. And then I moved to a PR firm and I was working with like the Sports Illustrated and the USOs and Honest Company and the big, bigger companies to do digital marketing working campaigns. And then when I was there at the at DKC, the last company, the last for profit company I worked for, the company was around for at the time like 25 years. And I really wanted to start a give back program. So we launched DKC Cares, which allowed us to internally work with a bunch of different teams and people that we never would have worked with before. And then we provided pro bono PR and like digital support for these nonprofits. And once I got back into doing that work, that's all I wanted to do work on. And I just realized, okay, this is 
this is starting to like move me back in the direction of nonprofits. And so in 2017 is when I left and started my own company. And it was one of those crazy moments where I was like pacing on Fifth Avenue, like outside our New York, Manhattan offices. And I walked up to my boss and told her I was quitting. And she's like, oh, where are you going? And I was like, I'm starting my own business. And she's like, oh, do you have clients? I was like, no. (laughs) And nearly six years later, the rest is history. But I think, I mean, it really, honestly, no, I feel like any of those like changes come from just gut decisions. Mm -hmm. And yes, I had, I definitely had a fear of like, what in the world am I doing? I did not know this entrepreneur world. My dad is an entrepreneur, but I still, you were always like, growing up, you go to college and then you go get a job that has benefits and a 401k and you work standard hours. And that's kind of all I realized. It wasn't, I didn't know any of the people in the entrepreneur space. I didn't know all these like Marie Forleo's of the world and like creating cultivates and all these like brands that teach on female entrepreneurship. And I think, I think also in 2017 onward is when there was a big boom in that world too of female entrepreneurs. And obviously this was following the Me Too movement. But yeah, I think it was just like this curiosity of like, what can I do? Can I bring the things that I've learned to the nonprofit sector? And now here we are. And it's worked out all right for you, you know, and being able to uh, thrive and provide tons of value uh, to your clients. So if anyone's thinking about taking the leap, you know, maybe Dana can be your inspiration, you know, six years, seven years down the road now. Yeah. I'd say I'm always happy to answer questions about what you're thinking about doing. When's like a good jumping off point. And honestly, you just learn as you go. And I think the biggest thing, this is like not, I mean, this kind of goes with everything. I would say the biggest pro I had going for me was I was so naive. And I think when you're so naive, you just take risks and you take chances and you ask all the questions and there's no, I never felt like I was asking a silly question and you're networking with everybody and you're hustling hard. And I think that goes into any type of job. I think sometimes once you have too much knowledge, you're afraid of making that ask. Mm -hmm. So if you can just always have a little bit of like naivete and like play in the work that you do, I think that will lend to really creative opportunities. Absolutely. And I think it's, uh, It reminds me of something I was talking to someone last night about where when you are that young, you almost not young in an age wise, but like early in kind of this journey, you can trick yourself into over indexing on what you could lose. Like, you know, you're walking away from a job, like it's stability, it's safe, it's that and the other. But if you zoom out like to 30,000 feet and you look at like, what's the true risk? Like, what if everything goes wrong? like what's actually the downside of this decision versus the upside, it's much smaller than the actual delta between where you are and where you want to be. And so you can stay on the incremental path where you're like, hey, this is stable, like going in this direction, but you'll always have that itch of what if. And so by being able to zoom out and seeing that, you can, you know, take leaps like you did, which in talking to a lot of people working in marketing or working in fundraising and nonprofits, a lot of them have taken those risks. They've stepped out and said, Hey, I want to do something. I want to push forward. And so I'm always encouraged yeah. to see how people took the risk. And I use risk lightly because it's like, I think it's took the opportunity to move forward and do something different. Uh, and, and typically for good in our industry. Yeah, absolutely. 
Hey friends, Emily here from Feather, taking a pause from this stripped-down conversation to share a quick story. The International Justice Mission, or IJM, is a global nonprofit with a mission to end childhood slavery in our lifetime. Each year-end, IJM runs a holiday gift campaign that gives supporters real-life stories of the impact a gift can make. But as another year drew to a close and goals got bigger, the IJM team decided to partner with us to level up their digital campaigns. IJM used Feather's nonprofit marketing platform and support from their Feather co-pilot to launch multiple campaigns around the web to expand their reach to a larger audience. The result? They brought in $109,500, the highest amount they had ever received through digital ads. By meeting their donors where they were, IJM was able to close out a difficult year with a big win. Feather is trusted by nonprofits of all shapes and wingspans, from the arts to animal welfare and everything in between. Don't rely on magic this year-end. Use Feather to streamline your digital marketing campaigns and exceed your goals. Learn more and get started today at feather.co. That's feather without the last e dot co. You mentioned something I want to tap into. So you said you moved, obviously, from advertising to now working with nonprofits on their marketing strategies, their digital marketing strategies. You said you thought that that was an advantage. And I think that's obvious. People said, okay, I'm pulling these experiences from brand into helping nonprofits. But over the past few years, what have you seen as the key things that you learned in, you know, for lack of a better word, for-profit advertising and marketing that have been foundational to the success you've provided clients in nonprofit marketing? One of the things that I think was unique in working with a bigger agency is you have access to the platform teams. So now the metas and going to Twitter offices or going to Pinterest and having those connections and relationships and understanding, okay, what are their newest features? What are their business objectives? And I talk about this a lot, that the reason why we might see lower engagement rates on things is because we're still following practices from five years ago or 10 years ago. And thus the platforms have evolved so much. So I think that's one of the key things. We had such a closer pulse on the business goals and what was happening with the platforms. And I've been fortunate to carry on a lot of those relationships or still be invited to events and to be able to get knowledge from them about what they're working on and just paying close attention and being on emails, newsletters that they send out. So I know like what's coming up. So I bring that into the space a lot and really leaning on if you want to be, and this is social media based, but if you want to be successful on a platform, we really need to understand what is the platform trying to do so that they can be successful <laughs> because that's kind of how it works. Like technically the social platforms are free. They're free to use. That's why we have advertising on them. And we have to consider, I mean, the biggest change of course was Instagram this past year was switching to reels. And I think it's interesting because we might slightly remember when it was these crazy filters that we put and it was just images and how far the platforms come and we have to pay attention to that. Like Facebook Live didn't always exist. Facebook fundraisers didn't always exist. Facebook groups didn't always exist. They're, as these platforms evolve, we have to ask, okay, why? Where are they going? And then how, how are we evolving in our strategy? So that's one of the biggest, I guess, advantages, I would say, is just having those contacts and staying in touch to be able to yeah. understand like what's the direction 
of the businesses. So I think what you mentioned there too is is important because I think it's contrarian to most people's thought process about these platforms. It's that you're working against the platform and that you're borrowing the attention and the energy that they yeah. have, but it's like, you don't know when it's going to be taken away or, you know, oh, you know, this is still rented land. Like you don't know when they're going to change the rules or you have to pay to play and all of that. And what you're advising is instead of seeing it as you versus the platform, really understanding the platform's objectives allow you to better maximize the platform. Is that and sustain maybe your success? Yeah, it's with, I think, right? Like they're trying to identify, look, those platforms have so much data on all of us and like behaviors. So they are naturally seeing trends of what's working, what are we naturally doing and trying to like fit the platforms into more of those molds. And yeah, so I think it's definitely a with instead of being, there might be some frustration on, oh, like something's changing again, but okay, like marketing always changes. Things are always evolving. Again, I I think earlier when you talked about risk versus like turning it into opportunity, I would look at it as an opportunity. Okay, okay, like what can we do here? And to that point, does this platform serve us now or not? And you don't have to be on something, right? Like that's a big thing where we were talking about Twitter a little bit before this. And I haven't been active on Twitter in forever because I was just not on it enough. And so I just literally have a pinned tweet that says, I'm not here, like, but you can find me here, here, and here, and there's links. So I still have a Twitter handle, but I'm not active there. So if something's not serving you, then don't be on it. If your audience isn't there, like, just don't be there. I think there was this notion of, we have to be on everything. And it's not true. Rock at one to two main channels, focus your energy there, let those grow and thrive, provide value to the people that you serve there. And just like, focus and hone in on your strategy. And I think that walking away was something I was I was talking to another guest about where she's actually put together a course on like helping people walk away because it's almost like we feel so invested, like you're not allowed to not be on Facebook or you're not allowed to not oh, be no. on Instagram, especially as a brand where it's like you might not need to. And why is that not okay? Especially as you said, as pr- uh, platforms evolve, it may evolve in a way that doesn't fit your goals and objectives. And so that's that's a great advice. You mentioned if it's not working for you, but I want to zoom out a little bit further. You spend a lot of time in the space uh, talking to nonprofits, working with founders, working with leaders in marketing and fundraising. What are you seeing that is working right now? And what are you seeing that used to work that's not working anymore? I would say what's working really well, slash I'm just really curious about, is SMS. So I think you can create really great text message campaigns and marketing, again, if done well, um, and if communicating like a human, there's been some really great advances in platforms, um, SMS platforms, I mean, in regards to how you can text and communicate with people. So I think that's something that I think is very interesting. And in the nonprofit space, I've seen it. And I've also seen it in I'm sure we all get SMS messages from brands that we've signed up for alerts on, but we always have our phones and there's a much higher click-through rate on SMS. So I would encourage people to start to ask for cell phone numbers Mm -hmm. and compile those lists and really build out thoughtful campaigns. There was a campaign that I did 
it was a couple of years ago with an organization that was, had this like new innovative mammogram technology. And so we used SMS campaigns to be able to reach out to people to see if they could, they would book an appointment to use this tool. And we were able to have it went out as kind of a mass message, but then coming back, you got the individual responses and then you could have one-on-one conversations um, and answer questions back and forth. And it just was, it made it so personal. Um, so I think that's one that is interesting. Yeah. And if we can stick with that, you mentioned yeah. being human. You also mentioned, you know, just now using it for like program activation. Are there other things that you've seen work well through the SMS channel? Um, whether it's, you know, is it good for acquisition? Is it good for cultivation? Where are you seeing it fit in just for those that maybe have thought about it, but they're not really sure how it fits into their marketing mix? I mean, I think it could work across every facet of a marketing plan, right? You could use it for the acquisition. You can use it for getting people excited about an event or something that's coming up, or we were just featured on X, Y, and Z, like go take a listen, right? Um, just for remaining top of mind, how can you provide value? The, I mean, the, the caveat to that, I would say, is to do your best to segment. I think segmenting and personalization is just a big thing. We've all seen quizzes become really popular about we want something specifically done like for us and targeted for us and created for us. So if you can really like segment that audience, understand like what would be of value to send them. Maybe you don't spam them with everything, but you just send them key updates that might be important to them. Um, so really building out that in your CRM and understanding, I think, I think it can be across all facets of marketing planning though. Yeah. You didn't mention activating donations. So the thing I'm digging in on here is that like a lot of people's familiarity with text, if they haven't thought about using SMS as a way to build purposeful connections with their community, think about like text to give and all of that. Have you seen direct giving asks work well through SMS or is it kind of advised to use it as a, a purposeful connection point to drive to a video, a content piece, a quiz, another activation, and then cultivate the gift there? I think it goes back to that segmenting of where is that person in your communication cycle? If it's the first time that they are ever being texted, I would say, don't make that be an ask. <laughs> Ideally, right, have them further along and more like engaged and immersed into your community and what you do. But yeah, I would say a donation when appropriate for any campaigns or giving Tuesday. I mean, a big one is text to give during events. I think what's interesting is texting became a thing because of, or texting for an action from American Idol. Mm. That's what started the, the vote process of texting in your vote. All of the technology started from the show. And did not know that. And I'm a fan of said American Idol. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. We I grew up watching American Idol with my family. That was like what you did. Um, yeah, so that's what it came from. So I, again, I would just think about like, how do we nowadays communicate? And I think where some organizations, and I guess we can speak to this on what's not working too in the same vein, what doesn't work with SMS is if you sound what it doesn't work on anything is if you sound like a robot or, and you make it too general and you're talking in big complex terms and that's not how we text people. I think the greatest thing that I've heard recently, which is so true. And I try and do this with my emails is speak, like create a note in your phone and just say what you would naturally say to someone. 
and have that as your SMS, have that as your email. I think we try and be so stoic so many times. And that's just not, that's not how we communicate. Like That's not what we're trying to do here in this conversation. No, it's so important. I, when I was writing a lot of emails and even still today, I only write them from my phone. Like even if I'm writing it out and I know I'm going to send it one to many, I force myself to write it in like the one-to-one format, which for me is like, okay, if I have my phone, I can only do so much. As soon as I sit down at a keyboard and open a Google doc, I like become like I'm a philosophy major all of a sudden. <laughs> and it's like, that's not the case. But if I have my phone, yeah. I go on a walk and I write the email, like it's a it's a great strategy that's worked yeah. for me. And yeah. uh, I would highly encourage, I haven't done the audio note as often, uh, but I think that's also a great thing where you're like, Hey, I just don't know what to say. Just talking to your phone for a few minutes and then go clean it up later. Uh, yes. I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. And there's, there's like interesting nuances from like in my email, sometimes I know I will, if I'm like, what is this? And that's how I would say it. I'll be like W-H-A-T-T-T-T-T-T-T, right? And just like keep it going, which is not proper grammar at all. But it's, you can tell the tone and like how I would naturally be speaking. And hopefully yeah. it comes off that way and somebody's not like Dana Spellcheck. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's huge. I think so in the vein of, and I would say that's across any communication. That's when you're writing social ads, that's your email, that's snail mail. I have been receiving so many snail mails asking for gifts and they're the same traditional front back or multiple page letters that are pair. Like it's just, it's the same as it's always been. And I'm curious, I would really like a study on this. Like, does that still work for everyone? Maybe for some donors, but it's just like, I, I just don't, I don't read all that. Yeah. Well, this goes back to our commentary on the Super Bowl ad from Coinbase, which was just like, if the medium is filled with this type of communication or this type of marketing, if you differentiate from that, yes. you'll stand out. Like if someone sent you, and please don't do this listeners, but maybe it'll work. But like if they just sent you a postcard with a QR code on it, maybe you would at least scan it more than you would read, you know, a two page letter that has a QR code, you know, in the giving reply piece or something like that. Like what is a differentiated way? Yeah, I would definitely scan a QR code over writing down my credit card information and like resending something back in the mail. Like I've never done that before. Yeah. And I don't, actually my husband and I were just talking about this yesterday. We don't have personal checks. My, my parents were like shocked. Like you don't have personal checks. And I was like, no, who, who uses personal checks? <laughs> yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. I, it's, it is interesting how I think, especially acknowledging that yes, the majority of giving is still done by baby boomers plus, but there is a significant number of donors that are in the millennial down and acknowledging that, you know, millennials make up 50% of the workforce. So actively making yeah. you know, revenue or income, disposable income of millennials continues to increase. So starting to think about those types of programs and maybe even segmenting on that, where it's like, hey, we have our, you know, maybe if you do happen to have birthdays or whatnot, can you segment on on different demographics there? Yes. And there's going to be a big transfer of wealth soon, too. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned uh, what is kind of working and we started touching on like not being human is not working. What else are you observing from your vantage that's not working for nonprofits right now as it relates to marketing? I mean, some of these are foundational I would say what's not working is not having a marketing or social person on your team. I know this is like the age old 
it's so hard for our budget. Yeah, we're going to have to dig in on this because, uh, yeah, why do we not have marketing as a function in nonprofits still? Some do, and those are the ones that I see that are growing, but we, it's yes. not a prominent thing. Why? Why? It is wild. It's wild. I think it's because it's part of, we don't have that. It's never been a line item. So, and we have the same, I think part of it, we have the same board of directors that have been on our board of directors for years and years and years and years. And if there's no new ideas or if the ED feels, even if the ED maybe wants it, but are not able to get the approval, that can be difficult to be bringing on new roles. But I agree. I think organizations that have a marketing that are focusing on brand. I had a great conversation with Paige from the Birthday Party Project earlier this year on my podcast. And she talked about how during COVID, things were slower. So they took the opportunity to revamp their brand. And they invested in like graphic design and redoing their website. And because of that rebrand, it brought on national new partners that increase their revenue. Hmm. Like, yes, because when you see something that looks beautiful, and I guess this goes into the same vein of, there are so many, so many outdated websites and blows my mind and ways of donating um, that cause so much friction. I think there's just baseline, ref- a, lot, a lot changed during the pandemic because it had to there became a necessity for digital. Um, But I would say like making sure that there's a budget for a marketing role. And if you can give them a little bit of a budget, ideally that person should come to the organization and say, Hey, for to be successful, I'd like to start here. And it's going to be used for X, Y, and Z. And then maybe next year, can we increase it to blank? Because I've proven X, Y, and Z goals over the year. I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason for why some do and some don't because some are small and they do and they start with that and they see the importance of that in community content. And some, I think, take it on as I can just do everything myself. And that's a little bit of like founder mentality of just trying to be really um, mindful of spend, but you're not going to grow if you can't bring on that extra support. And I did a, I did an interesting episode like earlier this year. I was like, if you don't enjoy doing that part of your business, you probably shouldn't be doing it. You should probably hire out for that. Well, and I think one thing that we've seen, I've seen in my career, but we also see here at Feather is marketing is positioned as an expense. It's like marketing is a thing we have to do like a means to an end, you know, it's a means to the mission. But one thing we believe here at Feather is that marketing is Michelin or marketing is the good, like communicating yeah. and connecting your supporters to your story is mission critical. And it's not a means to an end. It's actually like it the point should be thought about as a programmatic yes. like, line item in that it's doing the work is talking about the work, connecting people to the work, connecting people that care about the work to each other, educating yeah. people on the work. Like that's part of the work. Um, and I think fundraisers have been advocating for this for a while. It's like fundraising is part of the mission too. Like we're inviting people to open up and be of invest in this. I think marketing has even a stronger case, which is if you care about children's cancer research, me educating you in a uh, marketing piece about the impact of child cancer and the impact on the families and how that is 
that's part of the mission. I'm educating that. That's not just yes. a means to the mission. Which leans directly into development and fundraising. Absolutely. Because I saw this piece, because I watched this thing, because I attended this event, I'm going to now do this. They, they feed so seamlessly into one another. Um, and I also want to say like, look, you don't have to go full force into a full-time person right away if that's not where your budget sits. But I would say that's why virtual assistants exists. That's why there's part-time, there's consultants, there's agencies, like get you to the point where you are able to see a difference and then be able to bring somebody on. Well, I'm encouraged because I think more people are talking about this. I am seeing more organizations step up and add marketing to the leadership table. And I think 2023 will be interesting where marketing, especially in a, in a time when we are crunched for budgets or we're unsure of just how the economy is going to go or the uncertainty that that provides on your organization, that's when marketing can step up and actually take a seat at the leadership table and show how doing marketing can really close the gaps on some of these things that siloed functions can't do. Yeah. And I think during times of either a potential recession, right, which is talked about a lot or uncertainty or the pandemic or whatnot, there's always innovation that happens. And it's a time even more so to be having unique, creative, different conversations. I love the times where you see partnerships come together that are so far, like you never thought they would be connected to each other. And like, wait, what? They're doing a partnership? Um, there was a great one with Girls Who Code and Dweja Cat. <laughs> and they created like a music video with her that girls could code and change features. Like whoever thought about that was brilliant. And that was not a normal thing that you would just like piece together. But you, you would have thought of like Apple and Girls Who Code or something. But no, I'm going to go with a rapper. Like... <laughs> So smart. So it's like, where can you really think outside the box in times that might be a bit challenging and think about, okay, what is this other organization experiencing? What do we bring to the table? What can they bring to the table? Where are shared values and what can we come up with? Yeah, I think it's so important. And you talked about innovation. You talked about the idea to like think outside the box and be creative. I would love to know what else beyond, you know, creative partnerships is exciting you about nonprofit marketing. What else are you observing that you're like, this is exemplary? One thing that I really have dove into a lot this past year is monthly giving and creating monthly giving programs that are not just, and this is a old common um, thought is, yes, we have a monthly giving program by the sense of they can choose one time or monthly as they make their donations. That's not a monthly giving program. Having something that is actually like its own brand product, has a name, stands alone, has a mission that it's serving that you can be a part of, that's a community. And that's how I've been giving for the past couple of years. I feel like I am helping the organization with so much more sustainability. So I'm loving, I have my mastermind program where I'm helping orgs launch these monthly giving programs. But ones that like the refuge, is amazing from the LA Global Foundation. They've done a brilliant job building their programs. I love seeing when those get off the ground and do a really great job of continuous communication to those monthly donors. And I've been a monthly donor for December for over a year. And to get those emails all the time, to get their annual report, to get a letter in the mail, to continuously feel like I am helping to move this mission forward is really powerful on the donor side. And I hope is powerful also for the nonprofit to be like, we have this team behind us 
that gets us and wants to support us like to the finish line, right? Of what our mission is. It also moves it from being like a transaction that I could cut, like, oh, I'm going to not give to more of a community I'm a part of. So it's like, hey, I'm a part of this thing that feels harder to cut than just like, hey, I'm not going to have this expense. Yes. You know, And so there's even a financial opportunity there for nonprofits if they haven't invested in that or if they have to double down on it. And I've seen that success both in my work with child development organizations, but also we helped design the collective that the Adventure Project has. And then also my friend Courtney Bulger, who's going to be on the podcast later in the season. You know, they have Friends of the Park right there in Atlanta at the uh, Piedmont Conservancy. Oh, and yeah. so they have this idea of Friends of the Park and just the pride people have that they are part of the friends of the park program is huge. And they are more invested. They're more willing to tell people they're more willing to come to events. It becomes part of your identity when you're a monthly giver. Like you actually, I was going to work out and I have a, like a 5k dress number shirt. And like, I'm so proud to wear that and be like, yeah, "Yeah, like I support that organization. Right. It's like true to who you are. And I think uh, caveat to this also is the one other thing I wanted to add on things that I'm excited about is different ways of giving through different payment options. And a big one, just because this has been more relevant in my family, because my husband works for a company that's very immersed in the stock market, is non-cash assets. Mm. And I think the space has really been developing more and more platforms recently that allow this to be seamless, where you don't have to like... (laughs) print out paperwork and fax it from a fidelity and like send it in and make it this like complicated process where it's really become more seamless. But I was just talking with the CEO of um, Overflow the other day and he said the average gift through stock is $10,000 now for what they're saying. Now, I don't know the average individual credit card donation, but I'm guessing it's not $10,000. I think it's like a hundred something dollars. So That will be fascinating because Robinhood, I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with the app Robinhood, but that's how I started getting investing in the stock market because it was so easy. They helped bring, he was mentioning 20 million new people, new investors into the stock market. 20 million people. And I bet you most of them were millennials or Gen Z. Yeah, that's how I started too. Yeah. So I think that's going to be really interesting growth as more organizations offer that as an opportunity to give because there's a different thought process between giving from my checking account and giving you like my my meta stock or my Disney stock, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about orgs really thinking about what's a better donation experience we can provide. Yeah. There's so many things, Noah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think especially as cash gets tighter, people still want to give back. And generosity has shown time and time again that it's resilient. Um, And I've talked about this publicly a lot and that people want to give. So being able to offer them to give in the forms that they have available, like stock or uh, even time or acumen or whatever it is, like is really, really important. And it drives up that engagement. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'm William Henry. I'm the content marketing manager here at Feather, and I'm here to tell you about an amazing resource we have available for those of you doing purposeful marketing, the in-flight briefing. Every Tuesday, we'll send to your inbox the essential bite-sized information you need to take your marketing strategy from sputtering along to soaring. We think doing purposeful marketing is fun, 
So even though we'll be sharing a lot of new ideas and linking out to some thought-provoking content, we're gonna make this briefing feel like the most important part of the flight, the snacks. We know you have many options when you fly, so we hope you'll consider joining us in the air. Subscribe today at feather.co slash inflight. That's feather without the E dot co slash inflight. It's always been a pleasure, Dana, to talk. I would love to, before we go, kind of do some lightning round questions. Are you open to it? Let's do it. So what book on or relating to marketing do you wish you'd read earlier in your career? Ooh, okay. I'll give two. One is more business focused, not necessarily marketing, but company of one. As a pretty much solo entrepreneur, have always like kind of struggled with like how big to get. Mm. And if other organizations are at this place too, where you can have a great organization at different benchmarks of revenue goals that you have and like how you manage that based upon the complications that it brings, the bigger that you get, right? So I really enjoyed Company of One and how the author positions company growth based upon what your personal values are. And then just because it it made me quit my job was Good as the New Cool. So after I had an inkling to leave, then I read the book Good as the New Cool and after Aziz is the author and I quit my job at the time I was active on Twitter and I DM'd him and I was like, Hey, I just quit my job to reading your book. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? And we <laughs> randomly moved from New York. We both were in New York city to Los Angeles, like the same week. And he had a book party at the Soho house and he invited me and we met and then he became a business mentor of mine. And I would go, I would go to his house in Venice and like, whiteboard stuff. So a incredible person, incredible human, great book. I love that. And that first book reminded me of a quote that I heard a leader say to someone that was leading a faith community. And I think this applies to everyone is this person was saying, Hey, we can't manage the growth. We're growing like crazy. We don't know what to do. And the leader said, stop setting up chairs. Mm. And just that, that, that ownership that you don't have to, like it, you have control over it. Like you can yeah. Just stop setting up extra chairs. Like, yeah. And I think there's such an aspect of that when we live in like such a growth, you know, at all costs type environment. Yes. Where when we settle down and say like, we don't have to, like you could run a company of one. I think more people are deciding that that is their journey. That's what they want. And they, yeah, they're okay with that. And they understand the limitations and positives of that. Absolutely. Same with your nonprofit. Like is growth at all costs the right approach? Does growth always have to be like a percent or is like, Hey, yeah. we're doing the mission. We want to do this more efficiently. We want to drive this forward. Yeah. Can you collaborate with other organizations? I think there's so many organizations doing very similar things. Can you partner? Can you collaborate? Can you share resources so that you can still be your size that you maybe are comfortable with and want to be, but then partner with others to expand it to the goal. I think personally, the goal of every nonprofit should be to a reach that mission and end that problem. It should not be like a continue. I think, I think it was it Elon who was like, I would donate $10 billion if I knew it would end the food crisis. He's like, but no one's telling me a number that's going to end hunger. So instead he bought Twitter. So <laughs> so, yeah. $5 billion or whatever. He's got more billions to go. It's fine. He fair can enough, still donate. Yeah. Uh, no, it's so true. Yeah. I, I've heard it positioned that like every nonprofit should be in the, in the business to go out of business. Um, yes. cause they're not, they shouldn't be a business that runs on forever. It should be, uh, finite 
with the mission of completion of some sort or that the problem or just go into prevention mode so that it stops happening. there you go yeah no, that's a great point the last question we like to ask our guest because uh, we like to bring a little fun feather has fun as one of our uh, core principles uh, and we're currently on the marketing our nonprofit marketing unplugged podcast we'd love to know what three songs you couldn't live without like because we're gonna build a mixtape for our audience of all the kind of marketers mixes uh, and would love to know yours. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, these three will just like totally get everybody from different sectors. I would say Feel Like a Woman, Shania Twain, forever and always favorite. Lose Yourself by Eminem is my- Such a good one. Is my go-to karaoke song. (laughs) Um, And then a third one- Oh, and if this is going to be like a mixtape, okay, I want it to be hype. I love Hamilton. I'm my shot. There we go. I'm not. It's a great mix. Shot. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, there's one last question I forgot to ask you earlier, but what is your? And we'll close on this. What is your go-to marketing axiom that you would leave our audience with that you hold on to as you think about marketing and build your business and help others do good? I think the one. It's one of my values of my company is always be curious be curious, be asking questions, be experimenting, and don't be afraid to take risks. Love it. And on that, we'll close out. Dana, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. There's, um, if you like podcasts, there's a podcast called Marketing Against the Grain, hosted by the CMO at HubSpot. Have you heard of that one? Oh, I think I have. Yeah. So they actually did a really interesting episode on their advice for Elon. And so if you're even like curious about it, I think like they do a really good job at like unpacking what they think Twitter should do and why. Oh my gosh, I love this. Yeah, I'll definitely take a listen. But even more important than that, I love how they talk about it because I think it's actually a similar framework we should be thinking about as nonprofits thinking about marketing, like our market, like our structure is uniquely different than anyone else's. So like, yes, there are things we should do that maybe mirror other people's strategies, but also finding those like unique attributes of our own programs or organization yeah, and pressing into those harder. And it really revolves around like your users or in, you know, listeners case, like their donors or their supporters or their members or whatever. So I think there's a lot of a little like tidbits in there if you're interested. And it's yeah, pretty I, I already, I like texted it to myself because I'm going to go on a walk <laughs> later. So I'll listen to it. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, absolutely.